Welcome to the third season of True Story, a night of true tales told to friends. We're so excited to share another year of intimate stories told and submitted by people like you. Thanks to all of our listeners and storytellers out there, and thanks especially for your patience and messages as we took our season break. We've been quiet for a bit, but we've been busy. We've been working on a special project, which will be revealed soon. And you guys have filled our submission queue with stories from your gatherings. We've listened to every one, selecting our favorites for season three of the podcast. Still, there's room for a few more. We'll take submissions until January 31st. So if you've recorded a true story party but haven't submitted, or if you've been planning to throw one and have been putting it off, now's your chance. Throw New Year's storytelling party. Go to truestorytime.org slash join for instructions. Our story this week was told at a party in Berkeley, California. But the story itself takes us to the middle of nowhere. The theme for the event was, and then, boom. I live in Ecuador, and my boyfriend's Ecuadorian. He's never been to the United States before. But my brother was getting married, so we decided we were going to go to his wedding and then go on a two-month rock climbing trip in the United States. And it was my brother who got married, but we were the ones on the honeymoon, you know? We were living (laughs) the life. We were rock climbing every single day, camping out every single night, and we were in love, you know? You know. (laughs) And we eventually went to this small town in Wyoming called Ten Sleep. It's called Ten Sleep because back in the day it was ten sleeps away from the nearest outpost in any direction. And we were camping in this beautiful secluded campsite next to the most refreshing, invigorating river. Every moment of life felt like a miracle. And I think that when you're living in a lot of magic, you know, you start to really feel it in a lot of parts of you. And so I was having these dreams where I was having these, all these premonitions, you know? Like one night I dreamt that my boyfriend and I went to a grocery store and we ran into two of his friends. And I thought that was really funny because he doesn't know anybody in the United States. And, you know, I feel like he's so popular in Ecuador. And I was saying, like, hey, even in my dreams, you're so popular. I dreamt that we went to the grocery store and ran into two of your friends. And so then, you know, when we had to go to the grocery store two days later, we ran into two of his friends. (laughs) And as he said hi to his friend who he hadn't seen in years and can never fathom seeing in a small town in Wyoming, he's just thinking, like, on his dream, you know? And after that, he's like, hey, you got to tell me all your dreams because, like, you, you're yeah. seeing the future. I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't really want to tell you about the dream I had last night. Like, it wasn't such a good dream. It's like, no, not tell me. Like, well, you know, it's like, I mean, this dream is definitely not going to happen. Uh, it's just too surreal. And I had this dream where somebody was trying to kill us. And they were, like, banging on this door. And we're, like... We have to hide underneath these blankets, underneath this bed, so that this killer doesn't see us. And in the dream, we manage to hide, and we save ourselves by not getting up, by not making a noise. And 
but there are also some surreal elements. Like there was this like gorilla person who like told us that this person was going to come kill us. And like, yeah, there's no gorilla people here, you know? So like for sure, you know, like just because I dreamt about the supermarket, like this, there's nobody who's going to try to kill us. The next day he says, you know, like, I kind of want to move on to the next climbing spot. I know we haven't been here for very long and like the climbing here is the best climbing we've ever done. But I just get this like feeling like like somebody's watching me. He says, you know, maybe we should just go on. Like, you know, we wanted to go climbing at this place called the Devil's Tower. Like, let's go to the Devil's Tower and climb there a few days and then we can come back. Like, well, you know, like, you know, it's like let's, we have some unfinished climbs to do. Like, maybe we can we can stay here one day longer. And I guess because we didn't go to the Devil's Tower, the devil came and visited us. That night, we went to bed in our tent, and I was dreaming about horses. When we both woke up to this sound of something crashing down on our tent. And I don't really get scared of noises in the night, and I don't think he does either. We were both pretty used to camping out, but maybe we sort of felt some kind of energy in the air because I woke up with the most terrified and terrifying scream. Uh, and he was having a nightmare when he woke up and just, we felt so scared. You're saying, what, what was that? You know, trying, was it an animal? Was it just a, a branch breaking? It wasn't lightning. What, what was that sound? And, you know, even though there's no reason we should have been scared of just a sound in the night, we were just both so, so, so deeply terrified. And I said, you know, I can't go back to sleep until I find out what made that sound. And, and I opened the tent and, and looked out and saw that in front of our tent there's this big branch. And I said, well, you know, there's trees above us, so... So it must have a branch just fell out of the tree, like it's no big deal. It's the only rational thing that it could possibly be. And so we're holding each other, really still scared and thinking like, this is silly, like we shouldn't, this is silly. We're almost about to fall back asleep again when something comes crashing down much bigger. Our tent collapses in on itself and then bounces back up. And if I had screamed, before, now it was like bloody murder. I don't know if you guys have ever really heard a person scream, really, when they're really, really scared. It is this like primal thing that comes from inside of you that you don't know you can, it's a sound you don't even know you can make. We're under attack by something beyond the world we lived in. It was something we couldn't see. It was something the walls of our tent had closed in on us. And we didn't know what world we were living in. We have to get out of here. We have to get out of this tent and get to the car. And he said, no, like, shh, be quiet. We have to stay still. Like, lay down, lay down. We have to stay still, lay down. And maybe at this point, if I would have thought something about my dream or something, maybe I would have agreed. But I felt like I was suffocating inside that tent. And I said, no, like, I, I want to get out of here. And I threw on a sweater, threw on my shoes without tying the laces and got out of the tent and went to the, toward the car. And he got out behind me 
And he stood up in front of the tent looking up like, could something be falling from the trees? And in that moment, I heard a pow. And I saw this rustling in those bushes and a cowboy hat. And my boyfriend fell to the ground. And I went to him and he said, he said, something's hit me. I don't know what, something really strong. Something pushed me to the ground. And he said, I don't, I don't understand what, what's going on. And I, you know, I said, I don't either, but we have to get out of here. And we searched for the car keys and ran into the car and got in the car and drove. And I drove and I drove so fast. And at first I was driving just out of this fear, like there was something there and we didn't understand what it was, but it had been attacking us and we need to get away. I'd left my cell phone and I wouldn't have had service in that canyon anyway. And pretty soon I realized my boyfriend isn't talking anymore and he's hardly moving and he's closing his eyes and he's sort of like drifting out of it. And, and he says he's in this horrible pain, like he feels something inside of him is shutting down. And then that's sort of when I realized that what had hit him was a bullet and that he was dying. And we're sort of in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so then I drove so fast. I was driving a hundred in a like a 55 mile per hour canyon. And sort of with the last uh, effort and energy that he could bring out of him, he says, don't drive so fast. You know, don't, I don't want you to get hurt. It was as if this divine intervention had brought those words to his mouth because I slowed down. And just after I slowed down, we came upon a bull elk in the middle of the road that was not going to move. And I swerved around it and kept going to the nearest town that had a hospital uh, about an hour away. Uh, small town of 5,000 people, Worland, and we got to the hospital and the doctors found that it was, you know, a 22 bullet and they said, you guys are so lucky because that bullet was less than a third of an inch from his heart. It had gone beyond his lung and almost came out of his back. And they also said, and you guys are so lucky because if you had gotten here just a few minutes later, it would have been too late. My boyfriend had a collapsed lung and it was filled with blood. The doctor had never dealt with something like this before. He said, I'm gonna have to put a tube into his chest to get the blood out. You know, and I sort of asked them like, are you guys gonna anesthetize him first? And they said, oh dear God, has he not been anesthetized? And the doctor, as he's about to stick this, this thick tube into his chest, he makes an incision and he says, okay, I remember learning how to do this in medical school. He did a decent job, but this tube, he has to have a certain adapter on it to make it go into this box that the blood is supposed to flow into. And it's a lot of blood. And he actually put the wrong adapter on. So that was like when the nightmare sort of took a Quentin Tarantino type turn. <laughs> because suddenly there was blood spraying everywhere. It got on the ceiling. 
it got you know on all of the nurses it got on the floor it got on me and actually later another person was admitted into the ER and they didn't hadn't had a chance to clean it up and I just I feel so bad for that poor person <laughs> who came in because they had sort of a bad cough <laughs> <laughs> We found out later when we told my boyfriend's mom about this uh, that that very same night, at that very same hour, she had woken up from this nightmare in which she was just seeing this white room with everyone dressed in white that she assumed was a hospital. And in this white room, there was just blood everywhere. And she woke up so terrified that even though it was four in the morning, she called up all of her relatives to make sure that everyone was okay. She actually didn't think to worry about her son in the United States because, you know, he's supposedly in the land of wealth and liberty and all those other things. So why would she worry about him? And my, my boyfriend was ultimately okay, and he recovered well. Now, since then, so many people have asked me, like, are you really traumatized? And... Not only is the answer no, but we've sort of, we don't, I don't think either of us would even regret this happening. Mm. When you come literally a third of an inch from losing the person who you most love, something clicks, like you see things differently, you know? For one thing, we've really embraced not just life, but we've really become closer with each other. You know, we've also learned to sort of follow our intuitions and listen to our dreams more carefully. But for him, I think it's made him more courageous, like much more of a why put off tomorrow what you can do today kind of an attitude. So he's actually, you know, started this uh, ambitious new, new business. And for me, I think it's taken away a lot of fear in my life. Actually, two weeks ago, I was assaulted uh, with a gun in Quito. And what should have been really scary, I just... I just felt so calm throughout it all and thought like, well, he's not going to shoot me and he's just going to take my cell phone, so why be scared? I, I feel this sort of appreciation to this, this new turn in our life. And even though I don't endorse cowboys going out shooting people at random, <laughs> uh, you know, I think both my boyfriend and I are really thankful toward the direction that our life has gone since this experience. Thanks. Coming up in our next episode of True Story. The Jeep starts speeding up faster and faster, and the wind's whipping through her hair, and I'm like, start to get this dread in my stomach, like, whoa, what have I gotten myself into? True Story is produced by Will Rogers, Daniel Steinbach, Kevin Townsend, and me, Zandra Clark. Our theme music is composed and performed by Daniel Steinbach. We love hearing from you. Reach out to us on Facebook at True Story Podcast, and on Twitter, at True Storytime. And leave us an iTunes review, so that more people can discover True Story. Everyone, I hardly know you But when something comes and grabs a hold Take the hands that open up A life that's led is something gold I've been alone